0: I'm Kat. And welcome to this week's episode of Square Mile of Murder. This week, we're going back to But Nowhere, Missouri. Oh boy. In the 1980s. And we've got some cattle wrestling, fraud, murder, and we even have raccoons again. Yes. Although they only play a small part oh, in this case. That's a shame. We, but this is the case of senior citizen husband and wife serial killers and ray copeland (laughs) and this is actually quite an unusual case when it comes to serial killers because spoiler alert the main pursuit is money and murder is just kind of cleaning up so let's get into it
1: yeah let's do it um ray copeland was born in december 1914 in oklahoma uh and very little is actually known about his childhood and upbringing, because records from that era are pretty sketchy at best. So what is known is that his family were very poor and had to move around a lot um, uh, while his parents tried to find work uh, and basically just survive the Great Depression. Uh, Ray dropped out of school in the fourth grade, so at around nine or ten years old, Um, And he was functionally illiterate for the rest of his life. Eventually, the family would settle in Harrison in northern Arkansas. Uh, Not
0: to be confused with Arkansas. Arkansas should should be pronounced Arkansas or Kansas should just be pronounced (laughs) cancer. Which in your accent sounds (laughs) not great.
1: (laughs) See, I, I really think it should be Arkansas. Right, but they settled in Harrison, North Arkansas, uh, and Ray's criminal career began in his late teens/slash early twenties. Again, records not great, um, and he became known as a petty criminal, rustling livestock and writing bad checks. That seems like a very common choice for rural criminals uh, <laughs> in the. South and Midwest. (laughs) Um, Well, I mean, you've got to adapt to what's available. That's true. That's very true. (laughs) Uh, His father often covered for him, but eventually, in the 1930s, his crimes caught up with him. He was caught forging checks in Arkansas, and he served a year in prison. Upon his release in 1940, Ray met his future wife, 19-year-old Faye.
0: Faye Della Wilson was born in August 1921 in Harrison, Arkansas. (laughs) Even less is known about Faye's childhood than is known about race. But what we do know is that Faye was brought up in a very poor, very religious family in the Ozark Mountains just outside of Harrison. The couple were married six months after meeting, uh, initially settling in the Harrison area and had two children but in 1944, the family moved to California. The couple would go on to have another three children, and the family moved around a lot. Ray was constantly in and out of prison for most of his children's childhoods. (laughs) That doesn't sound right, but I can't think of any other way to say it. Um, For most of his offspring's
1: adolescence.
0: (laughs) Uh, Eventually, they moved back to Arkansas, where Ray was once again imprisoned for stealing livestock and served a year in the state penitentiary. And it was during this period of incarceration that Ray finally came up with a scheme to carry on his criminal activities without getting caught. Uh Upon his release from the state penitentiary, Ray moved the family to a small farming community called Moorville, just outside the city of Chilicothe in northern Missouri and put his plan into action.
1: Oh, boy. Also, I am impressed with your pronunciation of that city because I had no idea. What the fuck?
0: It is... Oh, it's only because I've heard it rather than read it. Yeah. If S- I i had been like... Chil- 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 Chilicothe? 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 Cot- Chilicothe? Chilicothe? Uh so, according to an episode of Forensic Files, it is Chili Coffee. Chili Coffee. I like, it's a good name. Chili Coffee. Chili Coffee.
1: Yeah, it's probably Chilla. That's a very, like, that sounds right.
0: Well, if you think, so if it's, so it's spelt L I C O T H E. So, if you think the second I is like the second I in Missouri, where it's like an A instead of an I, <laughs> so it's Chilla Chilicothe. Coffee, Which, like, to be fair,
1: not everyone pronounces the last I in Missouri as an A, but.
0: <laughs> well, I was told that was the proper way to pronounce it.
1: <laughs> I think people. So uh, I'm
0: going with it. I
1: think Missouri accents usually do Missouri.
0: My. I was going to say, when I've seen anything that's set in Missouri, eh. it's always been Missouri. 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 My grand. Not.
1: My grandfather, my f- my mother's fa- uh father, was born in Bolivar, Missouri, and that's where he grew up. And yeah, that's that's how we always refer to to Bolivar. So I'm assuming that that's correct. <laughs> um, uh, for a few years, Ray did actually live a fairly normal, crime-free life. Uh, the family were poor, but they got by. Uh, Faye worked in a nearby factory and later as a motel maid to support Ray's income from the farm. And the Copeland children all helped out on the farm, and uh, Ray also took work at other uh, local farms. Records, once again, are very sketchy, but it's widely believed that when the elder, elder children grew up and moved out, Ray put his plan into action.
0: So this would have been sort of in the 1960s when the, the children were starting to move out, I mm-hmm. think. If they were married in the early 40s and had children throughout the 40s. So, but yeah. Records and dates, just not important, apparently. <laughs> it's all fuzzy. But Ray began going around to the local missions and homeless shelters in Chillicothe, where he would find local transients, homeless people... And if they had addiction problems or no friends or family to turn to, all the better. He would offer them a job as a farmhand, claiming that he needed the help as his children were growing up and moving out. And as he was, you know, illiterate, he also needed help with the books and the accounts on the farm. So Ray would give them a place to live, an income, helped him set up a checking account. And then he would start taking his new farmhand, to cattle auctions around northern and central missouri because of his lengthy criminal history involving forgery and check fraud ray was actually banned from (laughs) bidding at these cattle auctions amazing but he was allowed to attend them and sit in the stands with other people who were bidding on the livestock
1: who 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 decided he could sit with people bidding like that's so dumb Right, so he's with all of his friends with their new checkbooks and they're bidding at the auctions. Um, and my computer's not scrolling because it's doing too many things. There we go. Uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> at the auctions, Ray would sit with his new farmhand and tell them which lots to bid on. The first time, um, he would buy some of the cheaper cattle and the farmhand would pay for it with a check using money Ray would give them to set up the bank account. And now, um, having established good standing with the auction house, Ray and the farmhand would then return to the next auction and purchase much more expensive cattle. And once again, the farmhand would pay with a cheque, but this time the cheque would bounce uh, because the farmhand didn't have enough money in the account to pay for the expensive cattle lots.
0: When the cheques couldn't be cashed and the auction house couldn't find... The farmhands. They would report them to the police for cheque fraud. <laughs> and police would eventually come knocking at the Copeland's farmhouse, looking for the farmhands. But Ray and Faye Copeland would tell the police they knew nothing about the auctions and that the farmhand had moved on. Uh, one quote was, "You know, transients here one day, gone the next." That was that was basically what they told police. <laughs> and um, just to really sell the story. Ray would also show the police a check that he had from the farmhand in question. Uh showing that he too had been a victim of this fam hand he had invited into his home, given a job to. The fam hand had written him a check for something. It had bounced, the fam hand had disappeared.
1: Damn, that's smart. Um mm. but also like, didn't anyone at the auction house weren't they like, oh yeah, it's Ray. We know Ray. He's always here with a different person.
0: <laughs> that is something I could not find <laughs> Why nobody worked that out. But, you know, maybe they just thought he had snuck in and was going to try his luck. I mean. Try and bid and then they were like, no, no. Unless it's
1: just a huge chaotic, like, I don't know. But it just seems like someone would eventually cotton on to the idea that, like, <laughs> this guy's always there.
0: Okay. So in the forensic file episodes, which we'll leave the link to in the episode description, mm-hmm. they show you footage from a cattle auction in rural Missouri, <laughs> and it is insane. Oh yeah! Like uh, how how do they or how how does anyone understand what's being?
1: Oh my god! How, firstly, like... how do
0: you know how much that the cow costs? <laughs> And also, has nobody? E- how does anyone just talk for so long? Well, hey compar- like. rev- yeah. that's literally what it sounded like.
1: Yeah, pretty much. Auctioneer, uh, like there's got to be an auctioneer school out there where they they teach him how to <laughs> do that because it's amazing. Um,
0: <sighs> yeah, yeah. It looks, it looks like not so much that it's chaotic, but. There's, you know, nobody's, like, taking a minute to look around them. They're just focused on... Yeah, that's true. ...selling and buying. I mean, that's
1: that's that also, that's fair. You gotta pay attention or else uh, the guy will just move on with, with more nonsense syllables. Um, yeah. Uh, so, between leaving the auction house with the cattle and the police turning up at, uh, at his door looking for the farmhand, Ray would quickly sell all the cattle at a profit, which, of course was a prophet because he got him for free. <laughs> yeah. Um, and uh, and then the farmhand would mysteriously disappear. But because Ray targeted vulnerable people at homeless shelters or missions, um, there unfortunately weren't people around to notice when, uh, when these farmhands went missing. And police didn't seem to think anything of the fact that all these farmlands had disappeared from the Copeland's farm.
0: So I've been thinking about this and I think because Kos- Ray himself was keeping out of trouble. Uh-huh. That, And, you know, he was putting himself forward as, you know, this this really, you know, generous guy who was just helping out the local down and outs. And he was giving them a place to live. He was setting them up with, a you know, a checking account and helping them get back on their feet. And if he's selling that really well, no one's really going to be like, no one's really going to look into it that much because they think, oh, he's just been really nice and he's not getting into any trouble with the rest of the community. Yeah. So from what I understand, they kind of kept to themselves a little bit. They weren't really big in the local community. Obviously, Faye went and worked outside the farm and he worked on different farms as well. But they weren't like really big members of the community in Chillicothe. Mm -hmm. So... And also it depends where, because these were all different auction houses around sort of northern and central Missouri. Different, so there'll be different police departments. Yeah, that's true. And this is throughout the, like you say, we don't actually know how long this scheme went on for. <laughs> um, but this is going on, you know, from the 60s onwards. Yeah, There's no centralized database. So there could be, or there would have been multiple police departments i would have thought looking yeah probably different cases and police don't like sharing with nearby departments yeah this is a known fact that police want to solve their crimes themselves they don't want help from another department or another county yeah
1: especially i was gonna say if there's conflicting um jurisdictions of like counties and sheriffs versus yeah. incorporated cities with police and like all that sort of thing it could be a real uh clusterfuck
0: <laughs> yeah so yeah when i was first writing it i was thinking like why did no one pick up on that book when i've sort of sat and thought about it there's so many different going to be so many different jurisdictions involved yeah in departments and everything that especially let's say no centralized databases no internet no very little communication so not as surprising as you might initially think yeah or i initially thought anyway yeah we say nobody really knows how long this cattle rustling scheme went on for or how many people disappeared after taking up work on the copeland farm um say because he only targeted vulnerable vulnerable people with no support systems in place but this scheme continued undetected until 1989. Jeez. Rare was 75 and fair was 68. <laughs> God damn. And yeah, I I thought this would be like a really interesting case to cover because I'd like read about it in a couple of different books and seen like every episode of Forensic Files more than once. <laughs> um, and I'm still upset they took it off Netflix. <laughs> um. I've now found that it's all on YouTube, so, you know. Perfect. But it's just become really frustrating because there's so few records. And what information there is tends to be conflicting. Like, one of the books that I was reading, they say that this all took place in Nebraska. Oh. And I'm like, no, it was one state down. (laughs) Yeah, that's different. (laughs) You know, and some... There's, like, dates for when he was in and out of prison or... Uh, like how old the kids were and stuff they all seem to differ so it got really frustrating after a while (laughs)
1: um so in august 1989 uh, a former employee at the copeland farm named jack mccormick contacted the state's crime stoppers uh, hotline which for those of you who don't know is a a community-led project which allows people to anonymously leave tips or information for police
0: and McCormick told... Yeah, because it's different to Crime Stoppers in the UK, which is a charity. Oh. It's a similar kind of setup, but it's not exactly the same. Yeah. Crime Stoppers is, is a charity, and they raise money for, like, rewards and stuff. You can still, like, anonymously leave tips, but they are the ones that tend to put out, like, the rewards for... Interesting. Um, For, you know, information leading to arrest. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, because, like... I've listened to quite a few uh seasons of the Undisclosed podcast and they go into a lot of cases from like Georgia and uh, southern states and every single one has like mention of the Crime Stoppers hotline and I'm never like I always kind of just assumed that it was a thing that was set up by local government or whatever but that's interesting that it's um
0: yeah i think from what i understand every state has a crime stoppers hotline mm. um and it's like community led so that's i don't know if it's like each state is given x amount for mm-hmm. like x amount in federal funding or if they're supposed to run it and fund it themselves i'm not entirely sure but eh, that's interesting yeah
1: right so uh, McCormick told Crime Stoppers that earlier That year he had seen human bones On the Copeland farm And that on one occasion Ray Copeland Had tried to kill him Pretty pretty damning um, Yeah <laughs> McCormick himself Was wanted by police in Missouri for check fraud uh, After he had bought Cattle at an auction And paid with a
0: check That had bounced Go figure However, unlike the other farmhands on the Copeland farm, Jack McCormick managed to escape with his life, but only just. (laughs) In the days after he had bought the cattle on behalf of Ray Copeland, you know, with the uh, dodgy check, (laughs) McCormick was called into one of the barns by Ray under the pretense of there being a raccoon under the floorboards. Oh, hey! And Copeland needed McCormick to help him flush the raccoon out so he could then shoot it. Poor trash panda. I don't know if that's pers- perfectly reasonable, ex- you know, reaction to a raccoon. <laughs> if it's in your barn, would you flush it out and shoot it? I mean, I know your mother got, like, a big humane trap. and <laughs> We don't own guns, so <laughs> that wasn't yeah, an option for you us. You know, accidentally caught a raccoon. Yes. <laughs> but, so... McCormack went into the barn, and he was immediately suspicious because uh, he was also terrified of Ray. Fair. Just the way he acted, and um, so as soon as he turned his back on Ray, so he could see where the raccoon pro- supposedly was, Copeland had the gun aimed at his head. Cheers. And for the rest of the interaction, McCormack didn't take his eyes off of Copeland. Never found the raccoon, and very quickly fled the farm and even the state and hid out in nebraska terrified that ray copeland would track him down and kill him
1: so how did he get away like so they're in the barn they're looking for the raccoon mccormick turns around and tries to see the raccoon and then what like turns back around too quick to see the gun pointed at his head yeah Ah. that's pretty much how it went why wouldn't have copeland just shot him anyway like not not suggesting that he should have done but like i don't know that's really interesting
0: i do have i have a theory which we'll get to later as to why he didn't but okay um so yeah
1: the police were initially skeptical of mccormick's claims But after checking his criminal record and finding that he was wanted for check fraud and mysteriously disappeared earlier that year after buying cattle at auction with checks that had bounced, they began to take his claims seriously. They issued a search warrant for the Copeland Farm and searched all of the farm buildings, and initially they didn't find any incriminating evidence. But remember, Ray also worked on neighboring farms to earn extra money. So police refocused their efforts on the neighboring farms presuming that McCormick had confused the Copeland farm with one of the others they had worked on and it was on one of these neighboring farms that police found the badly decomposed bodies of three men and in another barn they found a fourth body and after six weeks of um, excavations on the Copeland and neighboring farms they found
0: a fifth body which um, had been hidden in a well So, my theory about why Copeland might not have shot McCormack was, so where these three men were in the barn, they'd literally just been laid in one after the other. Obviously, they weren't all shot at the same time, Uh but he'd kept going back. And, you know, a body is quite easy to push down a well. You know, if you've got someone working on a well and you shoot them in the back of the head, you could, like, push them in. Yeah. So, Ray Copeland by this age is... 75 and, you know, getting on a bit, obviously not as strong as he used to be. Uh-huh. So part of my theory was he needed McCormick to be down in the hole or as near to it as possible oh. to shoot him and hide the body very quickly. Oh. That is my theory anyway. Interesting. See, like,
1: I would have thought maybe... He didn't want to shoot someone
0: in the face. I mean, that could be like another thing. Like, He's only shooting wanna, people in the back. Don't want to look someone in the eye when you shoot them. Yeah. But. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I could see that too. Like, he is. He's
0: old. <laughs> yeah. That was that was my thought because, like you say, he could have easily shot him even when he turned around. Yeah. But if he turned around and moved yeah, and it was going to be more difficult for Ray Copeland to then bury the body yeah. without having to get someone else to help him.
1: Yeah. And also, if, if the guy saw that he had a gun pointed at him, there could be like a struggle, which yeah. 75-year-old Copeland or however old he is probably is not going to win.
0: <laughs> All of the five men found throughout the properties had the same cause of death. Which was a gunshot wound to the head with a small calibre weapon. And when police searched the Copelands farmhouse, they found a twenty two caliber Marlin rifle. Further searches found two more bodies buried on the Copelands land. But police now had another problem. And that was identifying them. Mm. And they've only they only managed to identify five. Cheers there was only five when it eventually went to trial there was only five counts Uh so the first breakthrough came when examining the clothes found on the body in the well and there was a leather belt with the name Dennis carved into it and in 1986 police had visited the Copeland farm looking for the farmhand Dennis Murphy and you guessed it in (laughs) connection with some bad checks (laughs) that had been made out to pay for cattle at a local auction house Imagine that. And this was this was the incident when Ray Copeland had produced the bad check to show the police that he'd, you know, been swindled by Dennis Murphy. Oh. When in reality, um Copeland had taken Dennis out, somewhere near the well, and shot him in the back of the head and we presume just pushed him down the well. <laughs> uh
1: Along with the rifle, police had also made another interesting discovery while searching the Copeland home. Numerous suitcases filled with items of men's clothing, which didn't belong to or fit anyone in the Copeland family. But more interestingly, they found a list of eight names hidden in a camera case. These were all names of men Ray had hired to work on the farm, and next to four of them were exes. Um... These four names corresponded to four men police were looking for in connection with check fraud at cattle auction houses throughout central Missouri. And police now had a starting point for identifying the five bodies found on the farmland.
0: So police sent the skulls to a forensic odontologist, which is a forensic dentist, for those of us who don't know big words. (laughs) I'm sure they don't like being called that, but that's kind of what (laughs) it is. Yeah. And this odontologist was named Dr. Ronald Geyer. He examined, photographed and x-rayed the skulls before comparing them to the men's uh, pre-mortem dental records. But this presented yet another (coughs) problem because these records were incomplete. There were vast gaps between visits because these are all members of transient or homeless communities. Yeah. And so there aren't a lot of records for them. Uh, but eventually he was able to conclusively identify the body found in the well as being Dennis Murphy. Due to the skull showing the same defect in part of the jawbone that Dennis Murphy's pre-mortem record showed. Yeah. And this is basically a long-winded way of explaining how they use dental records <laughs> to identify bodies. Because obviously this is 1989, DNA testing was still very, very much in its infancy. So dental records were the sort of the easiest way for them to do it at that time. And uh, Dr. Guy was also able to identify the four other bodies, or four of the other bodies in the same way. So the five identified victims were Dennis K. Murphy of Illinois, who died in October 1986, Wayne Warner, also from Illinois, who died in November 1986, Jimmy Harvey of Missouri, who died in October 1988, John Freeman of Indiana, who died in December of 1988, and Paul Cowart from Arkansas, who died in May 1989. And Wayne Warner, Jimmy Harvey, John Freeman, and Paul Cowart were... Uh, the four names on the Copeland's list... With an X beside them. Mm. Yes. And... I wasn't able to find what became... Of the other bodies that they found... Yeah. On the property. Um, I'm guessing that they've never been identified... Unfortunately. Yeah. I but would imagine.
1: Probably not. So... In October 1989... Police arrested Ray Copeland... On five charges of murder... And to everyone's surprise, they also arrested his wife, Faye, whom they believed to be his accomplice. Uh, now this shocked most people in the local community, um, while few seemed surprised about Ray being arrested because after all, bodies had been found on the Copeland property. Everyone, including the couple's children, uh, were shocked and horrified that Faye had been arrested too, um. Now, up until her death in December 2003, Fay maintained her innocence, but police matched the handwriting on the list of men who had worked on the farm to Fay's known handwriting samples. And we know that, you know, of course, handwriting analysis is contested in the forensic science world, um, but at the time, the DA in Chillicothe accepted it as evidence.
0: Fay's guilt has always been doubted by her children. And one of them appears in the Forensic Files episode and says that the family are pretty sure she knew about the cattle rustling scheme but that she had no idea about the murders. But the couple's arrest brought to light a lifetime of abuse that Faye and the children had suffered at Ray's hands. So Faye was only 19 when she married Ray. He's seven years older than her in 1940. And she was from a very, very religious, fundamental Christian family In northern Arkansas. And that's pretty much... Middle of the Bible Belt. Southern USA. So... She had been brought up to believe... That the man was the head of the household. What he said went... The woman was to be subservient to the husband. And divorce was one of the worst sins. And she has since said that... She just bowed her head and got on with it. She carried bruises and broken broken bones from Ray... But he was her husband, and she just had to stay with him and take it. Following her
1: arrest, Faye was seen by multiple psychiatrists who diagnosed her with battered woman syndrome, which is defined as severe long-term domestic abuse, where the victim begins to suffer from a, quote, learned helplessness or psychological paralysis. Uh, The victim becomes so depressed, defeated, and passive that she believes she is incapable of leaving her abuser. Um, one of the Copeland sons, Al says in the forensic files episode that Ray, he doesn't even call his father, his dad or father or anything, only Ray, uh, which says a lot right there. Um, he says that Ray was a violent man with a very short temper and that all of the children were victims of their father. Al tells the story of one of his brothers scraping the bottom of an oatmeal bowl with his spoon and Ray beating the boy with an iron skillet. Al himself was beaten with a pair of uh, cow kickers after a cow he was milking kicked over a churn of milk.
0: I actually had to Google what cow kickers were because I didn't know when they're to keep the cow's legs apart so they can't kick over Uh... the milk when they're being milked. And yeah, they're basically big. They're kind of like metal things that, on like a a chain or a like a long, like thin piece of steel that sp- like spreads mm-hmm. the cow's legs so they can't kick. So to be beaten with that would have hurt like hell. Yeah. Um,
1: Faye herself says that she no- knew nothing about the murders and that she didn't ask any questions because it, quote, wouldn't have done her any good if she had, and that Ray would have uh, beat her about the house if she had asked. Faye even refused a plea deal because she said that she had nothing to offer police.
0: Because this was 1980s into the early 1990s, evidence about the abuse Faye suffered was not allowed to be entered into evidence at her trial, and the couple were tried separately. And so the only evidence the prosecution actually had was a list of it was a list of names in her handwriting. The fact that she lived with Ray and asked no questions when various farmhands came and went and just disappeared. And but if you remember at the beginning of the episode, we said little is known about Ray's childhood. But what is known is that he left school in the fourth grade when he would have been aged nine, mm-hmm. ten. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. And he was, you know, pretty much illiterate. So it has been theorized that because he couldn't read or write, he could have at some point just told Faye to write down this list of names without her knowing that it was really a list of his victims. And the only other quote unquote evidence that police could find was a quilt That Faye had made out of clothes that had been left behind by the farmhands over the years. This is flimsy at best. Mm. Yeah. And it doesn't mean... Definitely doesn't mean that she knew men were being murdered. Just that they had left various items of clothing behind when they suddenly skipped town. They were a poor family in a rural area and it's perfectly reasonable that the wife found these clothes left behind and decided to make something useful out of them. Yeah.
1: Especially if she was, you know, um, a product of the great depression as well,
0: Mm. because. Yeah. I mean, the, the son Al says that they only had like one pair of shoes and they were school shoes. Yeah. The rest of the time, even in the middle of winter, they had to go out barefoot. Yeah. Like to milk the cows and things like that. So, or feed the cows as it would be in winter. (laughs) So, you know, it's, that you say, she grew up sh- during the Great Depression. She would have, you know, nothing goes wasted, does yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. If it's useful, you use you it. You use
1: it. You put it to some kind of use, no matter what. Um, yeah. So, Fay's trial began in November 1990, and her defense told the story of a fearful, dutiful wife and mother who had endured horrific violence at the hands of her violent, ill-tempered husband. Uh, because the evidence from the psychiatrists about battered woman syndrome weren't allowed into evidence, the jury and the general public defaulted to, you know, the bullshit belief that if a woman, uh, really is being abused, she would leave, which we know is, is not, is not how it works. <laughs> um, uh, the jury convicted Faye of four counts of murder and one count of manslaughter, and she was given four death sentences for the murders and life without parole for the manslaughter. Um, now, we couldn't actually find which of the five known victims was the one Faye was convicted for manslaughter for rather than murder, but it was
0: one of them. Yeah. Four months later, in March 1991, that's when you were born. Oh, hey. (laughs) Ray Copeland went on trial um, on five counts of murder and was found guilty on all counts. And he was sentenced to death. So at the ages of 76 and 69 years old, Fair and Ray Copeland became the oldest people to be handed the death sentence in the USA. Wow, yeah. Yeah. And upon hearing that his wife had been sentenced to death by lethal injection, it is reported that Ray shrugged, shrugged, showed no emotion and said, well, those things happen to some, you know. How lovely of him. (laughs) Mm. Ray died on October 19th, 1993 at the age of 78 in the Potosi? Yeah, I'm not sure how you say that. The Potosi Correctional Center, Missouri. His death was recorded as natural causes. Now, attitudes are slowly, far too fucking slowly, changing when it comes to domestic violence and things like battered women's syndrome. Which is horrible terminology and I think it might actually have been updated now. But yeah. That was, yeah, that was what the, uh, the article I was reading used. But... In 1999, Fay's defence team appealed because the jury had not been able to hear evidence from the psychiatrists about domestic abuse and bad women's syndrome. And Justice Autry Smith, who was a judge for the United States District Court for the Western District of Missouri, upheld Fay's conviction of four counts of murder and one of manslaughter, but overtu- overturned the death penalty and commuted her sentence to life in prison.
1: That's fair. Yeah. Um, apparently, battered woman syndrome is now considered a subcategory of PTSD. So, oh. that makes sense. Yeah. Um, so, in the summer of 2002, Faye Copeland suffered a stroke, which left her partially paralyzed and unable to speak. Uh, just a few weeks later, in Uh, September 2002 Missouri governor Bob Holden granted Faye medical parole and she was released into a residential care home in Chillicothe. Uh, Faye Copeland died the following year on December 30th 2003 in Chillicothe Missouri at the age of 82. Um, Officially there are five victims of Ray and Faye Copeland but uh Authorities believe that there are at least 12 victims and possibly more. Um, Three of the men on the infamous list of farmhands, Thomas Park, Franklin Hudson, and Dale Brake, are still missing, as are many of the other men known to have worked on the Copeland Farm. Uh, Some, of course, will have just moved on because of the nature of, you know, transient lifestyle and never... uh, have been identified but many believe that some are buried somewhere around the copeland farm and uh that is the case of ray and Faye copeland the senior citizen serial killers
0: what do we think about this one i i am sort of inclined to agree with the copeland children that Faye was innocent at least in terms of the murder she she may have known about it, but I don't think she participated at all. Yeah, and I think, oh, I hope that if this case was hu- was heard in court today, and they allowed, they would allow the evidence about bad woman syndrome, PTSD, into evidence, and you know, she wouldn't be given a death sentence. Yeah. Um. Yeah, that's. That's my thought. Let's say we will never know whether she did know or not, but she refused a plea de- plea deal. But that again could be another thing to come out of her suffering from bad mm-hmm. syndrome. Totally, because she could have been, or she probably was, absolutely terrified. Yeah, you know, because if she okay, if she testified against him, and say he didn't get convicted or he was let out on appeal or something like that. He'd have killed it. Oh yeah, straight up. Yeah, over. yeah. I, so, I, I, I th- I'm
1: yeah, kind of inclined to agree. And like, I think especially because Ray had this like very clear, consistent like criminal record throughout his sort of youth, mm-hmm. and you know when when the kids were growing up, like it it makes sense for him to have committed these crimes, but it doesn't seem like, you know, Faye who, you know, grew up a very religious, uh, in a very religious family and all that stuff, like it doesn't seem like mm-hmm. she would necessarily willingly like, uh, just uh, remove her from the situation. Like, I don't think she would turn to a life of crime, necessarily, um, In unless yeah. there were these sort of extenuating circumstances. So, and, yeah, it sounds like because he was so abusive, everyone in the household was just terrified of him and probably, you know just wanted to stay out of his way and not ask questions and not, you know, think too hard about what might be going on or just had no idea.
0: But... Yeah, I mean, if you're going to beat the hell out of your kid with an iron skillet yeah, for scraping the bottom of their oatmeal dish or because a cow kicked over a churn of milk, yeah, okay, it's money lost, but it's not the end of the world. No you know the phrase is don't cry over spilt milk for a reason (laughs) yeah literally you know if you're going to beat literally beat the shit out of your kids with a nine skillet or a pair of cow kickers for minor things like that are you going to murder a virtual stranger who has no one unfortunately has nobody who's going to come looking for them for money (laughs) Probably. That is not a stretch. No, not so much. That elastic is not even getting stretched at all. That it's just sitting there on the desk. Yeah. It's not a stretch of the imagination at all. No. That you could go from that to murder. No, absolutely. Because like we said at the beginning, it's it's very different from a lot of serial killers where there is some kind of whether it is lust or a sexual thing or there's something like that involved. Mm-hmm. In serial murder, whereas this was just for the money. Yeah. The murder was just, just getting rid of a problem. Yeah. Yeah. So he could keep making money. <laughs> so.
1: Yeah, it's it's an interesting, it's sort of a, yeah, flip of the the, normal, um, mo kind of thing, which is interesting.
0: Yeah, and he's essentially just using violence to get rid of anyone who gets in his way. Yeah, pretty much. You know, whether that's his wife for speaking out of turn or his kids burning or burning dinner or whatever yeah. it was she did or his kids for, you know, scraping a, a bowl, <laughs> bowl too loudly with a spoon. Yeah. You know, he's just he's just using violence to deal with problems. Yeah. Which so yeah, I I say she whether Faye knew or not. Uh, is one thing, but I don't think she would have had anything to do with it. It doesn't seem like she was an active participant.
1: It, but mm-hmm. yeah, I feel like you're never really going to know if she knew something yeah. or not. But, and but... I know we said... Sorry. Well, but rejecting the plea deal does kind of uh, like on the one hand could indicate that she didn't know anything but of course on the other hand could indicate that Mm -hmm. she you know had ptsd from all the years of abuse but
0: yeah yeah Yeah, i was just gonna add because i know in you know the um canoe man episode Mm -hmm. we talked about his wife and how she could have easily gone to the police and been like my husband's faking being dead (laughs) because he was trapped in the house and couldn't leave It's never going to be that simple for a victim of domestic abuse.
1: Yes. No, absolutely not. I mean,
0: one, if she, especially if she's got uh, bad women's syndrome, PTSD, whatever you want to call it. Um, So there's that like learned helplessness yeah. and like paralyzing fear that comes with that. So it's never going to be that easy to just walk into the police station and be like, my husband's murdering farmhands. So thank you everyone for listening. Come and join us on social media, Square Mile of Murder. Join our Facebook group. Let us know your thoughts on the Copeland case, yeah. and you know anything you like. You know we like to talk about anything because I mean we might be out of lockdown by the time this comes out, maybe. But it has broken both of us. Yes. And we need human interaction. Yes. <laughs> That'd be nice. Plus. I just kind of have one-way conversations with my cat. <laughs> <laughs> and he just kind of scowls and turns his back on me. Oh, that's so rude. So so yeah, come talk to us on social media. Tell us your thoughts. And we will see you next week with a brand new episode. Yeah, very exciting. And it's a good one. Oh,
1: yeah. Yes. So
0: thank you yes.
1: so much for listening. Uh, and Thank uh, you. Bye. Bye. is the after this
0: Moira Anderson oh god <laughs> <laughs>